0: for singing that song Kirsten Newland we thank Jacob Newland for accompanying her on the piano and uh, we are happy today to have dr. Nelson Perdue back with us Uh, Want you all to uh, make sure your cell phones are off and uh, and don't be looking at your screens for any messages coming in watch the watch the preacher and listen to the preacher and uh, put all your electronic devices away. If you're reading your scripture on there, uh, that's okay as long as it goes away after you read your scripture. If you want to do research on something, do it, do it at home after you get out of church. But let's listen to Dr. Perdue. Uh, he's come with a message and with a burden for us. And uh, we thank God that he has been faithful to us, had not he? Uh, we haven't always been faithful, but he's faithful to us. And we want a message to our hearts, don't we? We want God to speak to us. We all need that this morning, folks. I need it and you need it. Uh, We need to hear from God this morning. And Dr. Perdue is willing to be the channel uh, that God can work through to speak to our hearts. So uh, let's listen attentively as he comes and speak to us. And we're so glad to have you here, Dr. Nelson Perdue.
1: Well, it's always, Barbara, my delight to be here with you. You've almost become our second home, uh, and we never tire coming to be with you. Kirsten, that was a beautiful number, and I, I I, think probably you have some of the finest young people that I've seen anywhere over 45 years of evangelism traveling all over the country. I can tell you, you are very blessed with these young men and women who are serving God, and Jacob on the piano. I, I guess if there's any such thing as sanctified envy, I have it, because I can't play anything. I can't even hardly play a radio if I can't get it on the station, but I've enjoyed so much their ministry to me today, and uh, Janice, your work, always joy to be with uh, her, and your pastor, Brother Goble, he's just a wonderful man, as you know, I don't need to, Tell you or sell you on him what a great man of God he is, and Tom always faithful, and Brother Newland ministering. It's just a it's just a wonderful thing to be in this atmosphere and to be with you. So I've come to enjoy you. I've also come to enjoy my own home. I've last two or three weeks I've been in, in Indiana and in Illinois and Gallup Police, Ohio, so I get to be close home where I can drive right home and have dinner and just be there to sleep in my own bed. Now you may think that's not a big deal, but when you've done this 45 years, that's a big deal to get to be home. So good to be with you, and I'm going to ask you if you have your Bibles if you will open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 3. <clears throat> now this is a very foundational truth that I want to leave with you and in fact as we were singing the songs dealing with the holiness message this is the begin, beginning of all that holiness is going to be for you and me. And I, I want to read a very familiar passage, and you'll understand probably more fully why as I go along. Would you like to stand with me for the reading of God's Word? <clears throat> In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, I want to read the first eight verses of the King James uh, Version of this passage. You'll recognize it. It's a very familiar text. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night, said to him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man, be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is of the fle- born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell from whence it cometh, and whether it goeth, so is every man born of the spirit very familiar shall we pray father we thank you for what our ears have heard and what our heart has sensed and for the manifestation of your presence in our midst this morning we thank you for these that have come to worship you we're always aware they haven't come merely to hear a man speak they've come to hear your spirit speak through your word even by a meager vessel And so, God, we pray that you one more time would breathe upon your word, that we will receive life from it, and that you would speak to us in a very personal way. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. May be seated. In recent days, in my study, I have been impressed by the fact. That maybe I haven't dealt with some subject matters as thoroughly as I should have. And so one of the reasons I share this with you this morning, I said already, it's a very basic and a very foundational truth. And I think oftentimes we just assume everybody understands the gospel message. Now, the reason I say that, I remember I was 15 years of age before I ever knew that I had to be born again. And I never attended church very regularly, and when I did, I wasn't taught this truth. And one day, I went to the church, and I listened to a pastor preach and told me that I needed to be born again. That was very foreign to me, even at the age of 15. I also come to grips with the fact even a child who has a father with a Ph.D. degree must start with the ABCs. The fact that his father has those degrees does him no good at all unless he starts at the very beginning where it all begins. And for those who love the Savior, I also am reminded they want to hear the old truths over and over that never gets boring. I think the hymn writer made it clear when she said, I love to tell the story to those who know it best. Seems they're hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And so those of us who walk with Jesus across the years, we never get tired of hearing the old old story. This is speaking to us about the new birth, or the birth of the spirit. I want you to note, first of all with me the necessity of the new birth. Many years ago, there was an evangelist by the name of Gypsy Smith. no longer with us, of course, long ago has gone to his reward, but he was speaking on the new birth. He made the statement before he began to preach. He said, I'm not here to defend the doctrine of the new birth. It doesn't need my weak defense. I'm not here to explain it because he said it's not it cannot be explained. I'm not here to apologize for it. It needs no apology. But he says, I'm here to preach without apology the only hope to heaven. You must be born again. George Whitfield, one of the great preachers of another era, oftentimes preached on this message. One day, a lady who had heard him preach on it several different times came to him and said to Reverend Whitfield, why are you always preaching you must be born again? He looked at her and just simply answered, well, it's because you must <laughs> be born again. I guess that is the reason why we declare it. i reading recently something that shocked me as I was reading. It said that it's been stated now there are more babies Born in this, in one hour in this world, than are born again in a year. It's a shocking statement. In fact, I think Peter might have warned us that uh, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but his long suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. And the long suffering is as long as there are souls who need to be into the kingdom, he's holding forth his hand from coming and receiving us back to his, Himself. We need to work desperately and feverishly for the souls of men and women. Now, let me bring you into focus this passage that I read in your hearing. One quiet night in Jerusalem, two men engaged in a very important discussion. One was an old man, the other was a young man. The old man, Nicodemus, had questions. The young man, Jesus, had the answers, and Nicodemus addressed Jesus as rabbi. Rabbi simply means teacher. Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. But Nicodemus, he himself was a rabbi, and Jesus knew he didn't need a teacher. He needed a savior, and he did not need instructions. He needed salvation. You say, how did Jesus know that? Well, the last two verses of the previous chapter, two, we read the words Jesus knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man because he knew what was in man. And so Jesus knew Nicodemus better than Nicodemus even knew himself. Now, Nicodemus was not a rascal, he was not a rogue, he was a rabbi indeed, and consequently, he was a ruler of the Jews. He belonged to the strictest sect of the Jewish religion. He was faithful to all the ordinances of Judaizers' religion. He was zealous in his religious practice. He was a sharer of the culture of the day. He was reared in a home of tremendous refinement, and some suppose that he was president of the Sanhedrin. Now, I want to tell you something. When it comes to devotion and discipline, Nicodemus had it and probably would put most of us to shame. Yet all of this prestige and all of this power that was at his access, still it left him dissatisfied and restless because he knew he was outside the kingdom. I think sometimes we need to come to grips with the difference between mere religiosity and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get so caught up in ritualism, we fail to realize being born again is a relationship with God himself. It is being adopted into the family of god and jesus responded to this very learned man nicodemus you must be born again and how shocked he must have felt when he of all people stood in need of the new birth i think it's a warning that familiarity with religious customs and rituals and teachings and and religious heritages is not a substitute for spiritual experience. In fact, too many get caught up I think in the religious scaffoldings and trappings of worship and miss the necessity and the essentials of being born again. Wife and I have three sons, one's a preacher, and two of them are teaching in their Sunday schools and and they have walked with God across the years for which we are very very thankful. <clears throat> but there came a time in their walk with in their life That we had to tell them that you can't go to heaven on mom and dad's religion. God doesn't have any grandchildren in heaven. Each one of them must be born again. You have to have an experience of your own. And we taught them that very emphatically because unless they are born again, no matter what our religion may be, no matter what our walk with God may be, it does them no good at all unless they have that experience for themselves. It's true that we must personalize this message. Now this is what we call a divine imperative. When he says, you must be born again, three different times he affirms this in my text. If you notice in verse three, he makes the statement, verily, verily, I say unto you, and by the way, that verily, verily, or truly, truly, you may have it translated in your uh, Bible, is unique to John's writings. It's like saying amen, amen, even though he does it at the beginning. He said, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's the fifth verse. Verse 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And verse 7, he says, you must be born again. He states it in the strongest language. He does not say you ought to be born again. He doesn't say you may be born again. Here he says, you must be born again. It's a categorical imperative, and we must not try to modify the words of Jesus Christ, especially the word must, because back of that statement is the finality of divine authority. Jesus said it. By the way, when I read this Bible, and I realize all of it is inspired of God, when I read the red lettering, especially attributed to Christ himself, I listen very keenly and very closely To what is being stated. And he is stating to us. As he did through Nicodemus. There's no other way. You must be born again. Now I should take a moment. And say we almost use that phrase. So loosely. And it has become so common. But that it's almost lost. The sacredness. Of what it means. Notice the mystery. As well as the necessity. Of the new birth. In response to Nicodemus's question, Nicodemus didn't understand this. He said, How can a man be born again? Must he enter the second time into his mother's womb and and be born again? And Jesus, in verse 8, gives an interesting response. He says, The wind blows where it listeth. Thou hear the sound thereof, cannot tell from whence it cometh, whether it goeth. So is every man born of the Spirit. Nicodemus, this man of God, probably knew the Old Testament by heart. In fact, they were required to memorize the Old Testament. And when he made that statement about the wind, it had to spark his mind because when he heard the Holy Spirit is likened to the wind, it reminded him of God calling the creation into existence. And you remember after he spoke the world into existence and out of the red earth, he molded man out of the dust of the ground And then he stoops quietly and tenderly over that lifeless form of clay and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And when that occurred, that living child sprang into the arms of a loving creator. Nicodemus understood that. He knew exactly what was taking place, the life of the spirit breathed into this atom. But I think he also was reminded of Ezekiel and the valley of dry bones. Knowing the Old Testament as he did, as he watched those dry bones as they began to rattle. And as they began to rattle, it wasn't long that the skin and the sinew, the flesh, and all of that robed that form again into a beautiful being. But the beauty was still lifeless. And so the prophet Ezekiel, he commands wind, And the wind blows softly over that valley. And when it does, life enters into those forms and changes an arid cemetery into an army camp. Mystery indeed. But he understood it. And he received it. And by the way, in case you are sort of adamant toward Nicodemus, Nicodemus came to know Jesus, and he was one of the two men along with Joseph of Arimathea that took care of the body of Christ when they took it off of the cross. Nicodemus knew Jesus, and he come to know him in a deep experience. You know, the great verities or the great doctrines of the Christian faith do not always lend themselves to the definitions of the finite mind. They are called the mysteries of godliness, and it says that God has made you and I who walk with him the stewards of his mysteries. There's no question, I've only walked with him for 58 years, but I can tell you there are a lot of things that are mysteries to my mind that I've been able to enjoy in my heart and life. I cannot comprehend it up here, but by faith I can apprehend it down here and demonstrate it every day as we were admonished this morning in the prayer that we walk daily in the life of Christian holiness. And so consequently, we who are the stewards of these mysteries must deliver them by example, by our faith, and by our walk to the world around us. You know, you can live quite a few days without food. You can live a few days without water, but you can't live an hour without breath. And this is why it penetrated the heart and the mind of Nicodemus when he said the wind Blows where it listeth, speaking of the Holy Spirit Himself. Now, there's a lot of things we know about the wind. We have the ability to determine the direction the wind's blowing. We can measure its speed. We can certainly see the effects of the wind, and what it does. But the power is still elusive. In fact, it's like the power of the Holy Spirit. It's indefinable, but it's as real as the wind. Now, the process by which the Spirit works is, the di- is as diverse as the people who seeks God. I've often heard people make the statement, well, when I get saved, I-, I want that experience just like Joe or Mary or Sue. No, you don't. You want what God wants you to have because you're unique to everybody else. Never seek for anybody else's experience. Now, I- we can appreciate everybody else walk with God and everybody else's experience but God works with us on a very personal level. I remember when I first come to know Jesus, I had an old, old gentleman who cared for my soul by the name of Brother Allison, and I've never forgotten, as he opened my Bible to John three sixteen, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know it by heart. He said, let me ask you to do something. He said, instead of putting the world there, put your name there. God so loved Nelson Purdue, that He gave His only-begotten Son that if He believeth in him, he should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. I never got away from that. And when I read this book, I don't read it as though God wrote it to everybody else. He did write it to everybody else. But I have to read it as though He read it only to me, uh, wrote it only to me, and I, and I do that because it's a love letter to my soul. He's the lover of our soul, folks. He cares for our souls. And I, uh, I read it. And by the way, I must tell you, when I do, it never flatters me at all, but it does give me hard facts, facts to this very day that I have to bring the bottom of my life to the top of my light and keep myself in the light walking with Jesus every day as he gives me this light. And so consequently, the process is interesting. The wind blows sometimes like a soft zephyr, other times like a fearful blast, uh, I have watched across the years I think there must have been a difference in how Paul received God's forgiving grace and how Peter did and how John did they all had unique personalities all I know is that he moves on some with great tenderness and he moves on others like a tempest And there are those who seek god and find him will shout and there are those who will weep and there are those who will just be tried and calm just be who you are don't try to be who you are not that's what god wants out of you and me Uh, over in the ninth chapter of john's gospel you remember there was a man who was blind and jesus touched him twice and he received his sight now that brought great consternation to those of the temple. In fact, they went to the father and mother and find out, is this man born blind? Was he blind? And they afraid they would be extradited from their from the temple they worship. They just said, "Well, just go ask ask him, ask him." So they came to this man and he felt no pain, he experienced no surgery, but this man looked at them and simply said to them, "One thing I know. Once I was blind." Now I can see. (laughs) In other words, I have to tell you, whenever it comes to being born again, methods and processes defile analyses. And when we try to explain it in the heads of people, you won't make it quite as clear the second time as you did the first time. It's not explainable. It's experience that you have to experience. And I have to tell you, it's reality cannot be denied. Paul makes it so clear. But concerning the necessity of the new birth and the mystery of the new birth, what's the nature of it? In verse 6, Jesus introduces us to two realms. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. One lives solely in the realms of the physical And the other, through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, is intervened. And God gives him, as Ezekiel said in the 26th division of prophecy, he gives him a new heart and a new spirit. And the change wrought by the new birth is so complete that Paul says, old things are passed away and all things are become new. Those of us who have experienced the grace of God in the new birth things changed drastically. I've never gotten over. It was in February of 1958 when God forgave me, adopted me into his family, regenerated me, justified me freely, gave me life that I'd never known before, shed abroad in my heart the Holy Spirit with the love of God, and that's more real to me today than it was 58 years ago. And I have to tell you, nobody has to tell you when it's done. Faith is that which... Hooks on to God, and God then does the work within the heart, and we are transformed by the power of His spirit. One cannot naturally, of course, cross species. A vegetable can't become an animal. An animal can't become a vegetable. A fish swims, a bird flies, and, and uh, an animal is an animal, a dog barks, cat meows. I think it was Oswald Chambers who made the statement, they do what they do because they are what they are. (laughs) And if you remember before one is born again, uh, Paul says that he is by nature a child of wrath. A sinner does not sin, uh, I'm sorry, a sinner sins because he is a sinner. He doesn't become a sinner because he sins. The root determines the fruit. Samuel Chadwick made a statement that I never got away from the English expositor when he made the statement, the more a sinner a man is, the less a man that sinner is. I recall, I don't know if I ever shared, I've been here a number of times, but I don't know if I ever shared with you. I recall years ago, uh, Dr. L.B. Hicks, one of the great southern orators, who's gone to heaven, but I remember him preaching one day and he was dealing with this old concept of nature. You can only live as you are. I am who, what I am and I live accordingly. If I must be born again to live the spiritual life. Flesh, flesh, spirit, spirit. And he said that he gave an illustration. It was a little myth, of course, a little, little mythical statement. He said uh, there was a, a fire, a forest fire. He said the flames were raging And everybody was skeltering. The animals were trying to get out of the fire. And the lumberjacks were in there trying to ward off the fire, keep it from spreading. And one lumberjack, uh, as he was rushing through the woods, heard something behind him say, Oh, Mr. Lumberjack, Mr. Lumberjack. And he said he turned around, and there laying at his feet was an old rattlesnake. And he looked at him, and he said, Oh, Mr. Lumberjack, don't let me perish in these flames. Take me out and put me free from the flame so I won't perish in this fire. He said, he looked at him and said, oh, no. Oh, no, uh, rattlesnake, I know all about you. He said, you got uh, poison in your venom, in your, in your fangs, and said, if I'd reach down touch you, you'd sink those fangs in my body and you shoot that poisonous venom in me and I'd die. No, no, I'm not going to do that. The old snake looked at him and said, oh, no. No, Mr. Lumberjack, save me, and I promise you I won't. And so the lumberjack picks up the old rattlesnake carefully and gets him safely away from the flames and lays him on a cool rock. He said he turns to walk away, and about that time, he hears the rattling of the rattlesnake. He turns around, there he is, all coiled up, ready to strike him. He said, oh, Mr. Rattlesnake, you promised me you wouldn't strike me. Oh, he said, I know I did. But he said, you see, that's my nature. I have to act that way. Let me tell you something, folks. Those who are of the flesh, my Bible says, those who by nature are the children of wrath have to act the way they are. But when one is born of the spirit, we have the privilege of changing our whole lifestyle by the power and the grace of God and we can live differently. You cannot do it by mere reformation. Pagan philosophies and education and all the culture and environment cannot correct our problem. Leopards can't change their spots. And you and I cannot pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. The natural man cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, uh, I, I know I mentioned this to you, but I've never gotten over the fact that's a divine imperative. That's why you must be born again. The natural man cannot see the kingdom of God. For a long time, and then he says the natural man cannot enter the kingdom of God. For a long time, I used to think that was merely a command of prohibition. You cannot enter. Stop. You can't see. But I think it goes deeper than that. My grandmother, I think, saw five years of her life and went blind never saw again the rest of her life. I think she raised six or seven children blind. And as a little boy, I remember going into the door to see her, and she could tell by my footsteps who I was and would call me over to her so she could touch me. She never got to see. All those years in her life, she could not see a sunrise or sunset. She couldn't see the beauty of God's nature. She couldn't see it. Not because it was mere pro- a prohibition with her. It was an incapacitation. She had not the eyes to see. And when Jesus says you must be born again, except a man be born again, he cannot see nor enter the kingdom of God. It's an incapacitation you have no capacity to. That's why he says you must be born again. In fact, I believe Jesus says that with great passion. I think it's not only, how, it's not only what we read, it's how we read it. And I believe Jesus was really saying, Nicodemus... I don't think he was saying, you must be born again. No. I think he was saying, Nicodemus, you must be born again into the kingdom. And I think he says it with all of us. He loves us. He has our best interest at heart. And he said, I want you into the kingdom of God. You see. The deaf cannot hear, the blind cannot see, and one cannot see the kingdom of God from the fleshly realm. In fact, there was was a time when the Pharisees came to Jesus and they said to him, show us the kingdom of God that should come. And he said, the kingdom of God doesn't come through observation. The kingdom of God is within you. In other words, when you speak of the kingdom, it has no boundaries that can be surveyed by the physical eye. The spiritual kingdom is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's the new life of the Spirit that's implanted within. And he that hath the Son has life. Now in closing, God's demands always presupposes his enabling grace. Let me say it slowly god's demand presupposes his enabling grace when he says you must be born again then you can be born again he lays no demands that he does not enable you and i to meet that demand it's interesting as i read this if you'll notice while jesus spoke these words only to nicodemus the message was universal in scope In other words, he says, except a man, or you could substitute, except any man or woman be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But then he adds three other words I say four words unto thee. That makes it not merely universal, that makes it personal and individual in its appeal. The world must be born again, yes, but I am the world. And Jesus turned to me one day and said, You, Purdue, you must be born again. There's an urgency about it. These two men were nearing death. Nicodemus was nearing death because he was an old man. Jesus was nearing death because of the mission he came to perform. It wasn't long as we're in this Lenten season, he was going to go to the cross and die. These men both We're nearing death. The first eight verses that I read in your hearing gives to us the prospect of the new birth. But when you jump down to verse 16, as I quoted a moment ago, he gives to us the price or the provisions for the new birth, the blood of Jesus Christ. But in verse 36, he gives a proposition. Listen to it carefully. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Can I tell you that is a literal ultimatum Jesus gives. You must be born again. If you don't, you can't receive the Son. You won't have life, but the wrath of God abides on you. You know, we don't like to talk about that anymore. And it's not a pleasant thing to talk about. But i got to tell you, inevitably, those who reject the son, and by the way, you can reject him just by ignoring him, just putting it off, just, yeah, I know, I know I need to be, yeah, I know I need to be, but you can reject him and have to face the inevitable of his wrath. You know, I... uh, I know that we're busy people in the day in which we live, maybe a little bit too busy, maybe we're sinfully too busy. But I can tell you there are a lot of people who go to great extremes, taking care of families, buying, selling, working jobs, building homes, all kind of stuff. And there are all these legitimate things. But I must tell you the only reason I am here in this world is to prepare for the inevitable day when I will meet God. Amos said it, prepare to meet thy God. This world in which we live now, and maybe I can clarify it more, this short tenure of life here, some longer than others, I can tell you this much, it's a dressing room for eternity. Nothing more. And while there's a lot of extraneous things we have to do and work and make a living, take care of our health and, and pay bills and all the, those things are legitimate things, but don't let those things override the most important thing. That's why the word immortality is sort of looked at and we give a tacit nod to it. We treat it as something really all not that important as though it needs any immediate, immediate attention, but when death hovers near, everything else fades. And there we are. Barbara and I have gone through, I think, six funerals this year and uh, many others that we did not go to. And I guess we've reached that age where you realize how fragile, how brief life really is. I have a friend who was a godly young man. He played for the Oakland Raiders, won two Super Bowls. His name was Mickey Marvin. Mickey Marvin, I've preached to many times. Uh, pro football player down in Hendersonville, North Carolina. He found God and and found him at my altar and just turned, I mean, his whole life turned. All the other stuff meant nothing. His desire was to be a godly man and he was a big guy. About four years ago, he contracted this ALS disease, this uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. I was down there in camp meeting last summer, and uh, he was unable to come to camp meeting. He was now sitting in a wheelchair, feet straight out, and just able to move certain parts of his body, for the nurse told him that, as you know the disease, everything will sooner or later just lock up and you'll go. And so he called me to come and spend a little while with him, and I got the privilege of going to his home and sitting there and talking to him, praying with him for some time. And then the last service, I had it in in a church Like your church, uh, instead of having it at the tabernacle, they just all came into that large church. And after everybody got in there, they brought him in in the wheelchair, and, and he sat back there. And after it was over, they held everybody up and let me say goodbye to him. I went back and bid him farewell and his wife. And then I drove home, of course, that night and started another meeting. Little by little, that disease took its toll. We could go Friday I called him, couldn't talk to me. All he could do was move two fingers. A boy, a man that probably was 450 pounds, dwindled away to nothing. And his mother conveyed the message back and forth. She could hear him, and we had to be very careful. We didn't get him too excited. And he said to me, he says, I love Jesus. I look forward to seeing Jesus and he said, I hope I've done my best for Jesus. Monday morning after Friday when I spoke to him, he went to see Jesus. Got a call last night. I guess there were several hundred there at the funeral. Many of the pro football players. Now I'm, I'm saying this only to tell you, as you see it, we see it, we see it, we know it, we, we acknowledge it. But for some reason, if we're not careful, we just sort of let it pass us by. Immortality, the greatest part of our existence, is not what you and I see. It's what lies beyond the grave. And we are here to prepare for that moment. That's why Jesus was very emphatic when he said, you must be born again. It's a beautiful fact. And I know I'm speaking to many of you and most of you perhaps that found him as your savior. And I commend you for that, but there's a world that doesn't know him. And it's incumbent upon you and I not only to live it, but we heard it this morning. Let us teach it, preach it, live it, holiness unto the Lord. I wonder if we could stand and bow our heads. I'm going to ask Tom if he would come. And I... I don't know why I felt so moved to deal with some such simplistic, basic truth. But I think God knew why. And it's good for us all to take inventory. Me, you as well. And I wonder if there's anyone who'd say, you know, I'd like to pray. I want to make this relationship with God confirmed. If If I established it, I want to reconfirm it. And I wonder if there might be some like to come and kneel or stand as we sing this hymn, as we close the service in prayer, if God has spoken to you about the seriousness of the hour in which you and I live, be it a young person, middle-aged, or an elderly, you just feel like you need to make sure, I want you to feel free to come.